Zelda had spent the entire 10 hour day working out the kinks to her new finisher. It was a move off the top ropes. She was 5 feet tall and weighed in just under 90 pounds, so this was her bread and butter. And it involved spinning her legs a full 360 degrees so that her knees would torque that extra oomph right as they slammed against her helpless opponent. She called it El Huracan. She must have fallen from sky to mat a hundred times that day, and it was Leon who took every one of those bumps. The thing was that unless she hit this thing dead on because of her minuscule build, there was barely any impact when she landed it off target, even when she botched the move and hit knees first right onto Leon's chicken chest. Zelda was a fiery one, like all smaller wrestlers usually are, and today was a particularly frustrating day. So when she botched a string of Urakan attempts and was repeatedly told by her coaches that the move wasn't selling, she finally had had enough. She ripped off her knee pads and threw them across the room as everyone stopped their work and the whole gym went silent. Then she stormed off to take off her boots in solitude. After she removed her rancid footwear, she popped on her headphones and closed her eyes to find some form of composure. After giving her a minute, Leon made his way over. We saw them chatting for a beat, but from this distance, the only thing we were able to hear was her screaming obscenities. However, as soon as we saw Leon get into his trademark crisscross applesauce position, we all rushed over, because that meant only one thing, a story. As we took our seats in the circle, Leon told us that Zelda had kicked some serious tail in that ring today, that Huru-Kan was a winner for sure, even in its current primitive form, but she was still struggling in one aspect. She was forgetting her biggest strength, which of course was her compactness, as he put it. And to make matters worse, she even considered it a weakness. This reminded him of another wrestler he met while working the Midwest territories back in the early 80s, who also had issues with her size. This skullbuster called herself Harley Ham, and she was about the most vexatious vixen he had ever seen. Not just in the state of Ohio, and not even the most rabid on the female side, just the flat-out most vicious combatant he had ever seen in any ring. Harley started her career wrestling girls in parking lots just outside the factories in Akron. The workers would clock out and rush to get a good vantage point for these brawls, and it didn't take long for them to start their lunch breaks with debates on just how many broads Harley would bruise that afternoon. Now, Harley was not your average athlete. This woman stood about six foot eight and had to have weighed in above 300 pounds. She had a short bob of straw blonde hair that rested just above a neck that was as thick as an elephant's knee. And Leon swore to the big guy upstairs he once saw her palm a grown man's waist. Fingers wrapped around the protruding parts of the hip, too. Leon said, We might be sitting here saying to ourselves how rad it must have been to be born that size in our racket, but he cautioned us to remember that this was a lady we were talking about. And this was a far less inclusive time than present day. Sure, had she been a man, she'd have been a regular Andre to the Giant in terms of celebrity. But as a woman, this was actually an obstacle. It wasn't that hard to see why. After all, how would any promoter find a suitable opponent for such a behemoth? Fortunately for Harley, by the time she started fighting handicap matches against teams of five, she had gotten the attention of Petey Budadega, the star promoter of the Columbus Territory, and he said he had just the spot for her. Harley made the trip to Columbus the following morning and met Petey at the gym. He greeted her with a firm handshake that uh, Harley tried to match, only to end up adding a few hairline fractures to the man's delicate phalanges. Moving past that awkward start, Budadega told her he would take her around the facility and introduce her to all the go-tos in this promotion. But before any of that, she would get to talk to the most valuable asset in Columbus wrestling. Without any further delay, 
He brought her right to an office on which the door read Terry Mangold, head trainer. Now, according to Leon, Mangold was an icon. Everyone in the business knew this guy, and they all wanted to work out with him. The thing was, he wasn't so popular because he was such a motivator, or because he just knew the lifts and reps that got the results fast. He was so coveted because he had access to some of the most powerful performance enhancers of the time. Any guy who was lucky enough to get into the rotation with Mangold would pack on pound after pound of muscle and be a bona fide beefcake within a few weeks. The only drawback was that there was no way any of them could take a bump on their behind because they were raw beyond belief from all the syringe activity back there. The same went for women, and this is why Budadega brought Harley to him, except he had the industrial-grade diet pills on deck for them. Mangold took one look at the absolute unit that was Harley, and after circling her a few times, maybe with an inappropriate slap or two onto her gut, he nodded his head and said he was up for the challenge if she was. Still unsure of what exactly was being asked of her, Budadega and Mangold clarified. Harley was a beast, no doubt, but even if they went out to New York or down to Orlando, they simply couldn't find enough female talent in her weight class to build her into a champion. So, instead, they would alter a little body composition, knock a slab or two of that meat off her, and make her into the bone bruiser crowds would pay top dollar just to boo. They assured her it would be easy as pizza pie, and before she knew it, she'd be down to a more appropriate female size, and her career would skyrocket. Leon said we had to remember that Harley had always been self-conscious of her size, and just like all of us, she would do anything to go national with her gimmick. So, as scary as it sounded, she agreed, took home her 11 jars of pills, and told Mangold she'd be back for the AM iron session. The first few weeks were definitely tough. Harley was in the gym up to five hours a day, just skipping rope, working the heavy bag, and running circles around the building. Mangold also had her wearing a 20 kilo weighted vest all day long. And this wasn't even the hard part. Harley burned a good chunk of her calories just from tossing all those pills into her mouth. It felt like after each set, she had to shovel a scoop of Sazendra, Diaril, Xenacol, Correctol, or whatever else Mangold had prescribed right into her digestive tract. Between that and running back and forth in the ladies' room, Harley almost immediately felt the Mangold charm and saw nearly a third of her mass drop off by the end of that first month. Although Mangold and Budadega were tickled pink and all, Harley felt a lot like the watery, formless material that she was leaving in those toilets up to five times a day now. She could barely lift weights in this new shape and forget about any of her signature finishers, all of which were predicated on her godly strength. Right when she was about to walk over to Budadega and thank him for the opportunity before resigning it, he wrapped her in a big bear hug, which of course would have been impossible one month prior. He told her that he had done it. He had booked her to face off against Layla Knight at the second biggest Columbus massacre in two weeks. This was a very politically incorrect reference to the Native American genocide and is probably the actual reason as to why this name and its host promotion only lasted this one run. Without going into unnecessary detail, he told Harley that they had some issues with the travel visa for a previous opponent, and although Layla's team was not willing to make it a title match, Budadega had talked Harley up so much that she had been officially added to the star-studded card. All she had to do was drop those last 15, and her career would finally begin. The day came, and the second biggest Columbus massacre was on. Harley went over the moves backstage with Layla as best as she could, but she was so dehydrated, nauseous, and everything else that she kept zoning out, which the champion took as disrespect. 
At a certain point, Layla finally stopped and told Harley they just figure the rest out in the ring. Unfortunately for the flailing Harley, their match was set to open the card, giving her no time to make one last trip to the potty. Right as she was about to turn to make a dash for that porcelain oasis, Harley was shoved out past the curtain, and her entrance theme, handpicked by Budadega, began. And the announcer introduced her by her new moniker, Harley Kiss, also provided by Budadega. The young woman stumbled her way past the massive crowd, squinting her eyes to avoid the harsh lights that shone right upon her on what should have been one of the happiest moments of her life. After bouncing off a barrier or two, and a few less friendly and naturally more inebriated audience members, she made her way to the ring and managed with great effort to climb the steps and enter the fray. As she perspired incessantly under the scalding spotlights, Layla's music began. She arrived with her signature flair. Her long neon pink robe was lined with mauve feathers that swung in the breeze, provided by the fan operated by her valet, the very young Valjean, still using the name Lockpop at this time. She sashayed her sparkling knee-high boots all the way down to the ring, being careful not to slip on all the drool from the male-dominant audience. Once she worked her way up the stairs, she kicked her boot into the air as Valjean lowered the top rope, allowing her long frame to climb into the squared circle without so much as a glance at poor, pale Harley. As Valjean removed Layla's robe, our heroine did everything she could just to stay standing. But as the champion made her rounds blowing kisses to all the undersect patrons, she felt her legs start to give out and had to lean against a turnbuckle just to remain on her feet. After what felt like a lifetime, Layla completed her extended entrance. And in what felt like light speed, the ref signaled for the bell to ring and the match began. Harley took a deep breath and pushed herself off the ropes. But before Layla even took a step toward her, she felt her stomach rumble. Mangold had told her not to take the twice a day castor oil dose the night before a match, but her guts were in such a knot from the nerves and all that she didn't need it to get the same job done. Realizing her colon was just getting warmed up, she went ice cold, and the little color that was left in her face fled like a deadbeat dad on the day child supports due. Layla approached her and she backed away, which allowed the star to laugh and comment to the audience how afraid she looked, and for good reason. She then crushed Harley's spirit when she put the kayfabe pedal to the metal and asked out loud how Harley even got this match when so many other more talented, more proven, and more attractive women were around. The only thing that softened this blow was that Harley was so preoccupied squeezing her bottom shut and hating herself for not wearing the gear with the long pant legs that she couldn't feel that DDT to her ego. Layla finished her roast, then immediately came at Harley with a full head of steam and locked up. As she whispered in her ear to wake up, Harley felt some of her urine start to escape, and her tears started to come along with it. Layla spun her into a headlock and led her around the ring, showing off what a loser this no-name was to the fans who surely deserved better for the prices they had paid for admission. As she twisted harder around Harley's neck, she inspired a little toot, which was the beginning of the end, as they say. The crowd howled with laughter, and Layla immediately released her from her grip. Harley stumbled back to the safety of the turnbuckle as she felt her heart race and her nausea hit its peak. As she forced her lips shut to keep that nonsense in her stomach, Layla invaded her safe space and delivered a few punches, followed by a clothesline, if for nothing else to get close enough to ask what the hell was going on. When she looked into Harley's eyes and saw the glaze over them, she knew what to do. Being the veteran and all, she told Harley that she just needs to hit her finisher right now and they'll call it a squash. Then she could go see the damn medic. 
Harley did her best to nod, happy that she was at the very least at a size where Layla could lift her and finally end this thing. Layla trotted back out to the ring and asked the crowd if she should send the scrub back to Akron. This got a huge pop, so she got into her fighting stance and Harley bit down as hard as she could before running right at Layla. The veteran slapped Harley to a stop. Then when she doubled over, she was grabbed over her back around the waist and lifted. Leon was sure that had Layla known about the digestive root of Harley's issues, there was little chance she would have chosen to finish this match with a tucker in. Even as she held her in that signature position, ass to nose and all, she really should have at least smelled what was coming. Yet, like a true performer, she went ahead and jumped into the air, shot her legs out, and took the bump on her bottom. As Harley's own bottom, as well as her gut and bladder, finally lost the battle. When Harley awoke in the hospital the next day, she had lost all consciousness upon impact. Budadega told her what had happened. The entire second biggest Columbus massacre had been called off after the mess she had left proved to be too much to clean. Not to mention pretty much everyone in the first three rows got some kind of piss shit puke on them, so the mood had firmly been quenched. Budadega promised to make it up to her by getting her a new gimmick, some fresh gear, and he would of course keep Mangold in check so he wouldn't push her so hard next time. However, Harley had had enough. She told Budadega to bounce before she did it herself, and as soon as she was released from the ward, she was more than happy to work her way back to her old fighting weight as she pursued her career as an indie wrestler again. Leon then summed it all up, telling us about how she became known around the entire state when she started her famous Open Challenge, where she would invite man, woman, or beast to meet her in the ring for a scrap. All she had to do was talk enough crap, and lots of boys would show up just to shut her up. But that rarely, if ever, happened. Harley would readily squash grown men who could bench press big rigs, and the crowds ate it all up, especially when she added the perfect garnish. Walking into the ring, throwing her God-given weight around as she took massive bites out of her signature full honey glazed, and finally taking on the name Harley Ham. When Leon trailed off after reinforcing that in this business, it's all about finding ways to feature your personal attributes, because we all have at least one thing no one else has. Zelda leaned over and gave him about the biggest hug someone that tiny could give. She sprang up to her feet and started to head out along with everyone else. Leon being Leon, then asked if anyone was up for a bowl of extra chunky jalapeno chili at the joint. Just the mention of which made us all collectively gag. That was Harley Ham, a Leon Poisson recollection. Written, produced, and performed by me, Josh Ramirez. We are officially on Apple and Spotify podcasts now, so if you enjoy the content, please subscribe and share with all your friends. Once again, thank you so much for listening.